Welcome to the Four Eyes podcast, brought to you by Young OD Connect. We give you a clear view into the new grad optometry world across Canada and the U.S. We are your hosts. I'm Dr. Deepan Carr. And I'm Dr. Amrit Bilku. And we're back. We're doing like um so many resumes now, so I was going to vent about that too. Yeah, tell me. We're in the process now of hiring like a staff yeah. member. Yeah, so it's posted on every social media yeah. account every day. I'm like, yes, like I know, Amrit. <laughs> are you gonna Are you gonna apply, Deepon? Yeah, if you pay me double what I have, <laughs> can you imagine? Well, I mean, yeah, we'll we'll start you at like 16 an hour, and then we'll give you like a bonus <laughs> it's like my structure. Other side side hustle. Yeah. <laughs> what what, what then, a pretest for uh, Amrit. What? And then da- yeah, Danielle's gonna be like, uh, Deepon, why are you taking off every Thursday and Friday, every every week? And you're like, oh, I'm like flying down to Toronto because <laughs> I have a side a side job there. Um, but no, guys, seriously, this is the first time I am ever on the other end of job applications. But it's, it's fun, not- like looking at resumes. No, it is Well, the first not. five minutes, and then you see, and you're like, what the hell is this Yeah, trash? So, <laughs> so I need tips from people. Like if you're listening to this podcast and you have hired people before, I would love your tips on how to find good resumes, like where to find quality applicants. We posted our job application on Indeed. And Mm -hmm. yes, on Indeed, we have gotten so many candidates within like 30 minutes, but it's Mm -hmm. literally like anyone, everyone just, you know, some of them are applying who don't live in Canada. And I (laughs) like, I just, there's no dates on stuff. So there's no location on stuff. Mm -hmm. Their names are lowercase. Do you want someone that's more like experienced in the field or more like entry level, like 18 year old? ready to like oh my God. put in some work on the weekends, doesn't know okay. anything. Okay. You can mold them the way you want to. <laughs> can you though? Because those yes. 18 year olds don't listen. So you yeah. can't mold them. I know it's a different generation than us. They'll, they'll walk yeah. in with their TikTok videos and be like, you should do it like this. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We got a candidate on the resume. It says that they graduated from high school 2019. And I looked at myself and I said, how old am I? <laughs> am I there now where I'm seeing like high school people from 2019 applying for a job? I'm like, I don't know. I feel so disconnected with that generation. And um, so honestly, I don't know. Manraj and I are going back and forth. Um, he has some experience in hiring because, you know, from his other opticals. Well, and he's, stuff. he's, he's only, well, he's a side-by-side lease. So he's only ever had to hire oh, associate OD, right. right? Not staff. Um, okay. and so, so this we're is a different open. caliber of resumes. <laughs> he's like, wait, and what? to be honest, we're just being open. Like we're, we, we can't be picky. We don't even know, are we going to get the person that we want? This is just such a different world than me submitting my resume as a new grad OD trying to get a job. It's so, true too. Like even when I was like in my early twenties, submitting a resume was not that complicated as it is now. I yeah. feel like it's a little bit crazy now. Cause you have, like you said, 
so many different people applying that you're like, yeah, wait a minute, what is going on? The reason why you're seeing our job post everywhere on social media is because we're trying to find out what is the most efficient and effective platform, right? To find good candidates. So like we said, Indeed has given us the most candidates, but mm -hmm. a lot of them are, you know, run-of-the-mill, regular, basic resumes. Um, LinkedIn, I thought would be great, but not a lot of people have applied to it because I also haven't paid to boost the post. So mm -hmm. I'm debating now if I should pay for that. Same with Instagram, same with Facebook. And then we did reach out to the Opticians Association. So we heard mm. that was probably a really good place to put some advertisements. So that's what we're going through right now. Yeah, I just feel like a whole new person. Like everything that I ever did as an associate or just a new grad OD, I'm like on the complete other end with this practice. And now I'm like, oh, that's why owners are so annoyed with us. <laughs> <laughs> with the resumes, how forgiving can you be? Like, I'm so, Oh, deep on, you wouldn't hire spelling. any of these people no. because like the grammar, grammar spelling, and spelling formatting, <laughs> there's like more indents than no, like I've seen That's... resumes from a lot of places. Like oh I would just look at them and I'd be like, Oh my God. And even the owner yeah. would be like, yeah, dude, like this is what I'm yeah, I'm dealing with like who would you hire? And I'd be like, I guess we're gonna be on our own for a while. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, honestly, I'm preparing for that, so I'm actually gonna be taking some optical training courses myself, uh, oh. Manraj as well. Like we're you know we're going to purchase some equipment that helps us with the optical and kind of treats us like optical for dummies, right? To be honest, um, because we haven't done it, we you know neither of us have ever dispensed on our own. Um, so yeah, we'll just see who's motivated enough and who can spell properly in the EHR system. <laughs> Cause that'll, that'll make oh, people sleep better at night. <laughs> I, yeah, I just, I don't know. Just Spelling, like grammar, police. Grammar. come on guys. Like grandma, get it together here. Why are you, <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, We won't talk about it with guys. Deepon will really get angry about this. And when I pause this recording, She'll go off about grammar one more time. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, come on. Like you went to high school, like double check the spelling, double check yeah. the formatting, double, like, it's just, what? <sighs> anyways, yeah. I'm not going to get into it. Yeah, no, <laughs> we won't get, you know what? Let's get into our episode for the night. <laughs> so on today's episode, we have Dr. Manveen Bedi, who is an optometrist that recently opened her own specialty private practice called Toric Optometry uh, in Mississauga, Ontario. And she's also a fellow ICO graduate. So we're so excited to reconnect with her and have her on. Um, and today's episode is going to be all about Menveen's personal journey into that world of specialty contact lenses and what it took for her to open that practice. So without further ado, let's get into that episode. And we really hope you guys Love hearing from Manveen. We hope you guys feed off of her happy, bubbly, funny energy. And we'll give her one extra shout out. If you guys need any legal advice, she'll mention that a lot. <laughs> she she always wanted to be a lawyer. So definitely. That was going to be her side that. hustle. That was going to be her side hustle. Yeah. This is just the, this is who Manveen is. This girl is like, works like a horse like yes being a lawyer was gonna be her side hustle because she was just like super interested in that part but 
yeah she's one of the most funniest people too so yes. she's super blunt she'll tell you how it is and we love her for that so a lot of laughs in this episode with yes her. so without further ado we hope you guys enjoy so first question for our listeners who don't know who you are can you tell us a little bit more about yourself Sure. So first of all, thank you so much for inviting me today. So mm -hmm. my name is Man Bean. I did my optometry training at ICL, just like Deepon and Amrit. And then after that, I pursued my residency training um, in Marshall B. Ketchum University. So I did my residency in cornea and contact lenses. Um, and that's just me in a nutshell professionally. But personally, I love to. Uh, I'm quite excited about photography as well as I'm a big foodie and I love traveling. And law. And you love law. <laughs> law. That happened for a split second. Like at one point I'd enrolled myself in a law program. I was like, I will become a met like a optometry and like a like a lawyer kind of thing. And I was going to become something. So like my life was this is what I mean. Like this is the stuff she would say. And oh, I'd be wow. laughing. And she's just like, no man, this is exactly what I'm gonna do. This yeah. is what's gonna happen. And I'm like, Dying in the court. I was always very committed to anything that came in my mind. I was like, no, I have to do it. No, I have yeah. to do it. This is like something I've like committed myself to. So I was very sad. When I started as an associate, I was like, no one's reading contracts. They're putting nonsense in the contracts. And yeah, yeah. why are they saying this stuff? It's not legally, like you cannot legally tell people to have a non-compete. So I got very passionate. I was like, I'm going to do something about it. I will learn and I will help. <laughs> so oh my God. That was my That's so cute. <laughs> and then like, I was an associate for longer. I was like, what am I doing with my life? And I was like, no, I have to change. And this was in the midst of COVID. So yeah, yeah. this is not a good time to open a practice but I was like what's gonna stop me and then I just yeah. <laughs> oh <laughs> my god <laughs> that's like a, like 20 miles a minute oh god Jen. I feel like I have two deep ones on here now jeez <laughs> I'm not ready you're just gonna be bouncing off the walls now <laughs> just wait yeah <laughs> I took my law interest and I started like reading contracts because when I started Torek one of the things that I didn't realize was I would be reading a lot of contracts so that's where all my passion for law has become more of a reality so I was like okay as long as like the business sites help me helps me with like getting better at law and reading contracts I'm all about it so that's like a good shout out for any of our listeners who is going to work in the GTA. You can contact Dr. Betty to read your contracts uh, on the side. A little yeah, side that's hustle. My hobby. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, that, that is my hobby in my spare time. I do love reading contracts. <laughs> oh, um, but Manveen, um, just quickly, I'm touching on that residency because residency is a thought that a lot of students have and they might kind of go back and forth. So when in optometry school, did you decide you were going to do a residency in specialty contact lenses and why? So I think like um, at ICO, we did get a quite a diverse amount of experience in different specialties. Um, the one thing ICO did really well was train us in BV, like a lot extensively. And then we got a lot of training in low vision, ocular disease and specialty contact lenses. So I think by second year, we did have a, like a good idea about what specialty contact lens 
would look like. So um, during second year, I started working as a work study student, and then I did. I became the president of Borneo Contact Lens uh, Group, as well mm-hmm. as I did do a lot of electives in contact lenses. Uh, the first step, when you're deciding if you are truly interested in a field, is kind of testing out the field. It's not just about getting a residency; it's about knowing if you're truly interested and if this is something that you're passionate about and you want to pursue, like 20, 30 years from now. Like obviously, there's no, no one's going to hold you to it, but just having those like experiences kind of helps you get to know a field really well and then you can actually plan ahead so I think doing all those different experiences kind of kind of bolstered my decision that this is something that I absolutely love one of the things um, in specialty contact lenses that I kind of noticed earlier on that kind of piqued my interest was that every day is not monotonous so Mm. Even if you have the keratoconic patient, like the same keratoconic patient within like the 40, 44 diopter K value, when you fit a lens on it, it's a totally different experience. And that's what's exciting about the field. When you have, like, if you have a schedule full of keratoconic patients, mild, moderate, severe, or a graft kind of thrown in, every eye is different. And a person has two eyes and then the fitting experience is so different between the two eyes. So that's something that excites me. Like when you go to clinic, you know, like uh, there will be a challenge. You will be humbled when you have to go home and then you have to study or you have to learn, like look up a webinar that you thought about previously and then see like how your colleagues kind of tackled the challenge. That's exciting to me. And that's what like kind of pushed me to kind of pursuing the field. And that's what I tell all the new grads too. Like if a lot of times students will reach out and they'll ask me like, what motivated you? How do I prepare myself? My thing is just um, test all the fields. Um, you have like that extensive time in first year and second year to kind of volunteer shadow in different like clinics and different departments. Take that opportunity and take the time to kind of like invest in yourself. And then by third year, like come third year and fourth year, when you're doing your clinical rotations, you'll know you'll have a good grasp of what you want to do and how you want to pursue that. Yeah, yeah I think what you said was really important that the shadowing and volunteering experience. I think a lot of people think they'll just get whatever experience throughout their four years and then they'll figure it out by their fourth year. But taking that extra step to go into a lab or talk to one of the professors and just be like, hey, can I just shadow or volunteer here to see what it's actually like? And I think even when I I was in third or fourth year at ICO, there were a lot of students in the um, contact lens um, lab area that were just volunteering and just wanting to know what it was like. So Um, I think one of the things that ICO did really well was that we had different departments, right? I don't know how other schools work, so I can't like talk about that. But in ICO, we have the corneal contact lens department, pediatric department, advanced care, urgent care, and all these different departments. So like when when you would just go around and ask the faculty, like, are you taking a student? I'm just going to work here. Like just like me, essentially. (laughs) You would get like a lot of opportunities. to. I know. Yeah, that's true. I remember like in second year, I was like doing topographies for like third and fourth year students or if they wanted to run and like get us get something or like ask me to do something I would like happily just do it because sometimes when you're there and you're just in the room you're hearing their conversations about like their fits what the challenges are that they're facing and sometimes just being a fly on the wall in a room full of like people who are communicating about these things is the best place that you can be because you learn things vicariously that you are not like consciously trying to learn but you're just there and you're like oh that's so cool like what are you doing this is so interesting and that helps, that kind of builds that interest and kind of like, like kind of sows the seed of like learning more about that field. Um, I think when I was in second year, when I was in the peds department, that's exactly when I knew that 
peds was not my thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Cross that off. And then, and then when deep on left the peds, uh, clinic, I was the one who signed up for extra volunteer shifts. <laughs> in peds and BB. That's right. Am right. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. Yeah. I was the, I think in second year and then in third year, I asked, uh, Dr. France shout out to Dr. Kelly France. Who's awesome. She let me not just shadow, but do patient care on those VT patients um, an extra day a week. So that was like Saturdays or it was like, a, you know, whatever, a Tuesday. Exactly what you said, Manveen. I agree. Like if you, for any student um, who is kind of like humming and hawing, like they don't really know kind of like what interests them, honestly, like suck it up, go one day a week or one day a month, just take an extra clinical shift in one of those specialty areas and just start learning. Like you, you'll know what you absolutely hate and you'll sure. know what you absolutely keep looking forward to when the week comes, like you'll, you'll figure it out. Um, okay. Yeah. So Manveen specialty contact lens residencies are known to be very, very competitive. I believe they only, or all schools only offer one position for residency, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas for other um, specialties, there's either like two or three positions for um, fourth year students to get into. So um, what do you believe distinguished you from other candidates when you were accepted? So I think that's a good question for Dr. Edrington. <laughs> Why do you take me on as a resident? But no, yeah. but in all, in all honesty, I think like I've had the, at least I've been grateful um, or I've actually been lucky that I've had the experience of sitting on the other side when I was a resident and I was interviewing the future or the incoming residents for um, our school. The one thing I realized is that passion will come through. Like if you're seriously committed and like excited and like sparked by a field, that just comes through in your body language, comes through when you're talking about that thing and that's something that you can't hide so I think one of the things that I knew about myself is anyone who came in contact with me they knew that I kind of like uh was like breathing specialty contact lenses at that point like any opportunity that I would find to learn more I would go and grab it and I would not hesitate about that and that's something that I think uh people will see and people will appreciate even when I applied to the cornea contact lens residency I was told like pick selective um, residency spots and only go and interview at some. And I was like, no, this is like my time. I'm going to do it at my own like pace, whatever I like. So I applied to a bazillion schools and I was like, I will like go and see what their program has to offer. Like if they're interviewing me, I have to see a school that kind of fits my personality and that wants to teach me the way I learn. So I wanted to see where I would find the best opportunity for myself to kind of learn and develop. So when I was going through the schools, it was such a um, surreal real moment when I was like interviewing and I was like oh um, I really loved this school on paper but I'm here and I'm not mm -hmm. like wanting to be here and mm -hmm. I don't I don't see myself kind of fit in to the mold that they've created for their resident so when you have that experience you realize it's not just about like just getting a spot it's about getting yeah. the right match for your personality, because then you will grow and shine the most. Uh, even now, the grads will kind of get disappointed that I didn't get accepted, and then they'll take it to their heart. And then there's a whole conversation that that moment does not define what you will become in the future. Yes. Like it is upon yourself to take it, take that like the bull by its horns and like learn at your own accord, because that like being in a residency or not, that will not define how you will be as a practitioner. Like when you are in school, everything is very like height and everything is very yeah. like 
uh, like amplified. But when you yeah. go in private practice and when you're outside in the real world, you realize that what you were stressing about was not like something that in a real world you would stress about. You just said something so important. The initial question was kind of like, you know, what made you decide to do the residency? And we're trying to like hype up the residency. But what you just said actually does emphasize the other point as well. People mm -hmm. who don't do a residency, that does not mean that those people are not going to succeed, right? Yeah. Like if they, if someone does want to offer specialty contact lenses or any other medical specialty, a residency is not mandatory. That does not mean that you're going to get a better job than anyone else or be the best of the best. It just gives you a different experience. And it gives you a lot of experience within that one year worth of education that you can still obtain out in the real world, 100%. maybe just not in that specific time frame, right? I was told many times, if I want to do VT, I have to do a residency. Yeah. I, I That's all I ever knew as a student. And so I did a residency. And yes, I got a job at a wonderful practice, probably because the residency was under my name, which is nice. But- at that practice, I also work with an OD who's now reaching retirement. She was doing regular primary care for almost 20 to 30 years and got into VT in the last, I think she said, maybe five to 10 years of her practicing before retiring. If you're motivated, you can learn, you can do it. Residency is not going to make or break your passion for whatever specialty you're doing. We knew we'd go over time for this episode because we, oh, no. we are not even halfway there, <laughs> but <laughs> so it's sorry. because there's so much great content right now. Everything that you're saying, it's a lot of motivational stuff that I think is important for um, students to hear. I was going to be like, Manvini, you've become a therapist now. I was going to be like, yes. preach all that stuff yes. you're <laughs> But, I, you know, but the thing is I did have a stint like between like my U, like uh, UTSC days and between becoming an optometrist I was working in a psychosocial lab so I was like no oh my, it's all oh about like mental strength you gotta be mentally strong you can't do it Dr. Betty's multiple streams of revenue <laughs> all these different careers you wanna, if, you, if you don't want eyes do you want like a mental health checked out I can see <laughs> <to> you <laughs> So Dr. Betty, let's move on a little bit into, you know, we just talked about, you know, there's still opportunity for those to learn outside of residency. Um, you know, for those who are interested in implementing scleral lenses or just specialty contacts into practice, but do not have a great deal of clinical experience already, do you recommend like specific ocular conditions to treat initially, maybe to like kind of dip their, you know, toe in the water um, so that they don't feel as overwhelmed? Definitely. So like uh, when I started out, like I would say like even at ICO, the first set of cases that we normally would get are like the simpler ones, like the simple keratonic patients, you're mild and moderate. So, you know, like it's easier to kind of go in. If you're seeing a pinguecula tragium stop, uh, we assess and maybe like do it at a later date. Because normally if you start with the pinguecula tragiums, you're kind of like going in a loophole where you want to get like more of a complex fit. Like now there's this like lump and bump that you have to cross. There are ways to kind of get around it but I wouldn't want that to be like someone's first experience and then they're seeing all this redness everywhere and then they're feeling overwhelmed it's always good to start with a cornea like with a sclera that looks relatively flat and you're seeing like the cornea is a mild to moderate cone you want to build your confidence level initially you want to become very good at doing the bread and butter cases and then slowly ease into maybe doing a graft 
like and then doing maybe a limbal stem cell failure and then going into your more like landmark barriers that you're seeing and then eventually going into like the SGS pemphigoid which has more of the conjunctival like issues that you will deal with what about starting even with like dry eye or something would that be Dry eye is like a beast in itself because the thing is, if you're starting with a dry eye, like you can definitely manage it conservatively with like therapeutics, um, with your medication drops. But if there is so much SPK on the eye that you're thinking about putting like a scleral lens, that's a good way to kind of go about it. But at the same time, like maybe trying like an amniotic membrane if that's like the amount of damage mm -hmm. that you're seeing because it is a compromised eye. So I would also like look at other things that are also options for patients. Uh, scleral is a great option for like an on ongoing patient that may have like neuralgia from like herpes or like some sort of nerve loss and then they're just recurring like they have these recurrent erosions or like recurrent PEE that just keeps happening but also like if you're doing like uh like just a, a scleral for a dry eye patient there's a lot of cost that's also involved um so at that point I would consider like maybe IPL like maybe uh amniotic membrane autologous serum now we have so many more options so I would use those as well before I attempt like a scleral instrument mm -hmm. Because the, with dry eye, there's always infl inflammation. So the first thing is resolve the inflammation before you put a lens on that may trigger more like concerns down the road. So yeah. deal with one issue first, make sure that the eye is stable, and then I would put the lens on. Okay. Yeah. What is important to consider when choosing specific um, fitting kits and labs? So a lot of times, like, especially when I was trying to set up my own specialty contact lens clinics, as even an associate and now in my private practice, the couple of things that I looked at was first was the turnaround time. Like how fast can you get the lenses from the lab? Normally when you start the fit, you have like a certain time, like time period in which you can complete the fit. So you want to make sure that initially, especially if you're starting out in the specialty contact lens world, you want to make sure that the time limit is flexible. So that way, if you are like initially, you're kind of like having challenges in terms of fit and you're taking slightly longer than what you would, um, then you have that luxury of time to kind of do the fit in your own like pace and just make sure you optimize the fit really well. So turnaround time is good. You want to make sure that the lens comes back sooner so you can bring the follow-ups like closer together rather than being like a month out or like three weeks out. You want to have those follow-ups sooner and not like make the patient wait. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that I would consider is the warranty. Like how much like warranty are they providing you? How the consultants are in terms of providing like advice. A majority of the times when you're working with contact lens, especially contact lens companies, they have excellent resources in, and consultants. So they will work with you hand in hand, make sure like you're like, feeling good. And then if you have any issues, they can help kind of like provide you the advice that you need to for the modifications that you require. Mm -hmm. The lastly, the thing that I would look at is the design options. Nowadays, there's a lot of different designs that are out there. Like you can have like a smaller lens. If you are dealing with a patient who has a microcornea, you want a lens that can go up to like 14.8 or like 14 millimeter, like a small diameter. And then for eyes in which you just want to fit big, like if it's a dry eye and you want to cover as much ocular surface you can, you want a lab that can provide you like a larger diameter lens as well. So looking at what the parameter ranges are, um, looking at what is the flexibility in terms of covering like your trigeons, like your pink because that's something that you will see a lot like even in Mississauga population I see a lot of pinguaculas just like off the yeah. like everyone has a, a little bit of a pinguacula on their eye so like just making sure that they have some sort of recess vault or some sort of technology that can kind of go over or even like a 
larger diameter lens. So you can just like mask, like just completely go over that. And then like what kind of meridian changes they can do? Is it just one meridian? Can they do quadrant changes? So those are the things that you're looking at. One of the advices that my residency director provided me when I first started was like, I asked him, I was like, so what lens, how do I pick a fitting set? He was like, just pick one and then start. So you want to pick one, one company and get to know their lens design really, really well. It should be at the back of your hand. So you know, like what modification that you would make, what impact would that have on the patient's eye? Once you're really good with that, then you can kind of ease into maybe a second design or a third, but I always say, keep it simple and keep it succinct. Uh, make sure that the lab that you're working with has a variety of different options that you can like modify the lens as much as you can. Mm -hmm. And also just realizing that at one point, like 80 to 90% of the fits you can do with the generic scleral lens, but there will be that population that you can't fit with this, like a, just a routine scleral lens. You will need like more of a custom fitting, like as SMAP a guided fitting or like iPrint Pro. And at that point, kind of leaning on to a person who has the technology, like even in my practice, sometimes I'll refer out patients if I don't have an SMAP or iPrint Pro. Uh, that's just like that um, attitude that you have to have of like, I want the best for this patient's eye. How do I optimize the fit for them and see like, oh, this is the like the challenge and this is the barrier now, or this is the end point of where the scleral lens is going to go. Now, let me try a different way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you're starting up a specialty contact lens practice, now you have your fitting kits, how do you determine the cost of services? And we know this will be different applying to different states and provinces, but um, what's your opinion on like the formula you've used to determine your costs? So when I first started, like after residency, when I first started, there were a couple of things that we would look at when we were determining what the cost of the lens would be. The first thing that we looked at was what are the, like the cost of the clinic, like the fixed cost of the clinic. There are some overhead costs that you want to cover with every patient. Then there are like your cost of the staff time like because with specialty contact lenses the amount of training that you need is far more extensive than like a regular soft contact lens so there's a lot of time that the staff is away from what they could be doing and training the patient so that's number two then you are looking at your variable cost like what is the specialized instrument that you've bought in like you have do you have a topographer now do did you also bring an anterior segment camera to look at that landing zone or do you have just an anterior segment camera just to take pictures or images of the lens and then you're also looking at at what is the pricing of the lens that you're getting from the labs. And then lastly, you're looking at how many appointments are you estimating that the patient will keep coming back for, because those things will add up and that will determine the cost. One of the things that we normally use is we use our like, um, the chair time that you would charge the patient for like their annual exam. And you would have like a certain amount that you would add on top because to account for like the training time that the staff is taking, the suction cups, the equipment that you're buying in. So you would add like maybe a charge for your topography. And then you would multiply that by the number of visits that you're estimating that the patient will come back. And that would bring you the cost. I'm just going to transition a little bit, but you opened up your own clinic. Yeah. So that's yeah. Congrats again. But what um, what has your experience been opening uh, torque optometry and optical on your own? And any advice or stories you want to share on the various hardships you had to experience or face head on? So overall, like I would definitely start by saying like, 
Torek has been like my baby. Like, so like everything that I've gone through, like um, everything kind of fades away in terms of like the bigger picture of so, like, having something that I, I can call my own. So that's always like very, very special. But yes, like I did decide to open a practice uh, during the pandemic. So obviously I had very, very fun experience of, of opening the practice. <laughs> I feel like starting as an associate, like the, the way you think is very different than when you actually start a business. So the transition is the one that's kind of like very uh, different and very challenging to kind of go from very medical side to now thinking like a business person. So that's very different. So you have like so many firsts throughout the experience like the first time you have to make like a business plan like you don't know the abcs of doing a business plan uh when you are an associate if you are having an issue with like a disease you can go and look up a book read up about it and then it's good and then you know and you can ask a peer you can like check a webinar there are resources like that are out there but when you're starting a business and then you're like oh where is the webinar for this <laughs> yeah get more knowledge about like how to make a business plan but the thing is like there are so many there are a lot of information out there it's just that at that point you have to kind of go and seek it out it's not readily available you have to find the right resources uh, find trustworthy like people that you can like rely on and their information that they're giving um at one point I was like I don't know if this clinic's going to be ready like this has been just a work in progress for so many months I don't know if the doors will ever open and like at one day I my mom and my parents were like we need to have a grand opening I was like there's not going to be a grand opening I'm just going to go start seeing patients when it's ready and that's exactly <laughs> what I did the first day I did not even have staff hired I just went there and I started seeing patients I like, that's fine I'll just do oh everything my by myself I don't care I just need this clinic to be open Actually, that's that's a lot of um, business owners, I'm sure. I'm sure tons of ODs have probably done the same thing. Like right when they've opened, you know, it's so hard to find staff and the patient volume is not that high, right? When you just start. So you're pretty much doing everything from start to finish when the patient walks in the door and when they leave, it's just you, your face everywhere. That's it. Exactly. And I was like, I'm the receptionist. I'm my pre-tester. I am the doctor. And I'm also your checkout staff. If you need it, that was as well for you. So it's just like you to wear these multiple hats, like back, like, um, I think like when I was an associate, my schedule would be very like different. It would be like going to clinic, coming back, maybe like looking up a webinar here and there, reading up a new book or an article that came around. And and now, like when I'm home, it's all about like uh, where are the invoices for this thing or that thing and like just admin stuff. Like even if I have a day off, it's like doing admin duties. It's mm-hmm. all I don't think it bores me, but it's just exciting because it's your own thing. It's like you. every, everything or every ounce of energy that you put in, it's for your own like baby. So yeah. at that point, it's just worthwhile. Yeah. yeah. Everyone will feel different when they have their own practice, because just like you said, it's your baby. It like you're putting a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of mental Mm -hmm. stress into developing it and maintaining it. So it really does just become your child. So, I mean, it's, it's fun to, you know, have those first experiences with your own practice versus if you're an associate working at a new place like nothing compares to yeah. like learn when you do it by yourself. Yeah. We got to emphasize it more to new graduate ODs and young ODs coming out that private practice sounds so daunting, especially when you have a lot of student loans, you went to ICO, just like us, you're yeah. Canadian, right? We know how many, <laughs> you know, how high your loans are, but, um, you know, having that, um, private practice, it's just, um, 
it's a good foundation for you to invest in yourself because of how much money you spent on those loans and how many years you went to school. It's all going to be worth it if you open up your own practice. Like where Deep One and I are very pro private practice these days. <laughs> Maybe we'll be different tomorrow. Who knows? But right now. Right. No, it's always different. It's it's a wave in itself. It takes time to kind of like get to the point where you're like ready to pull the trigger. It takes time. Like, but the one thing I always tell, like I told myself, is like if I'm not gonna take a risk on myself, no one will. So like ultimately you are your biggest advocate and you have to stand up for yourself and say, I believe yeah. in myself. Very true. I have a random question. Didn't you so when you were associate, you were working downtown Toronto, right? Do you yeah. feel like there's a big difference between working in downtown Toronto, like that busy area, to now working in Mississauga? Or like a different. suburb? Yeah. The population's like night and day. I've worked at corporate settings. I've worked at like ODMD settings. I've worked at optometry settings. Um, I've worked at not so busy clinics, very busy clinics. So the one thing I've noticed is that downtown was uh, the patient population is very different. It's a very like fast paced population. Um, dilation, having a conversation about dilation is always extremely hard. <laughs> no one yeah. wants to dilate it. They're like, I have five minutes to my exam right now. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of exam yep. is this? This is an experience. <laughs> There's no eye exam in five minutes. It's a very <laughs> different population than like Mississauga. You're seeing more families. I have a question that I know we've, we had an episode already with Dr. Lasby about scleral contacts. We talked about um, like best ways to obtain referrals for like specialty contacts. Who else do you reach out to, to inform them that your practice is open to like share patients, get referrals aside from other ODs? So normally I think a good practice is reaching out to the cornea specialist in your community. Mm -hmm. So that's always like a start because again, they do see a lot of keratoconus. It's always good practice to kind of introduce yourself, let them know what that you are, like what your qualification is. Like I'm starting to practice. I am comfortable seeing all these patients. Uh, when I'm sending a note, I'll tell them like what my scope of practice is. You want to introduce that. So I will always talk about the fact that I'm comfortable with pediatric um, specialty contact lenses because not a lot of people will do that. Not a lot of people will work with corneal GPs on like a young child. Like if you have a comfort zone make sure they know it because they would know what kind of referrals to kind of send to mm. at one point I also reached out to Sickest Hospital and I just sent them a letter I was like I'm a new grad I'm in the community if you ever have any referrals please send them my way so you want to have like a relationships with where the your population is so if cornea specialists are seeing them reach out to them then if there's a hospital that specializes in kids reach out to them and like the other source like I do know that you touched on it not just the ODs but they're like your one of your main sources of referrals like a lot of my friends like even from my CO there I have so many colleagues that have graduated and they still refer to me like Dr. Murray Dr. Singh like yeah. they're like a good source of referrals so in the community if you let the people know that you are practicing this uh, they will send you those um for your routine patients, you can let the GPs know, but when you're dealing with keratoconus and all these eye-specific diseases, you have to reach the population that's kind of seeing them. Nice. Those are great tips. I love that. Lastly, you know, what are your best resources or platforms for anyone who wants to learn more about specialty contact lenses and maybe more specifically for ortho-K or scleral lenses? Mm -hmm. 
So the one resource that I've used, like since actually ICO days is the GPLI page, like the GPLI.org website. Like I know ICO introduced it to us. And then even during residency, when we had like our meetings, a lot of the times we would have like um, all these instructors from like the GPLI page that you see come in, kind of teach us about all these different like corneal lenses, scleral lenses, and all the art of kind of fitting. So GPLI has like, it's a one like shop, stop shop, essentially, where you have all these archive webinars. So you can actually start learning about like the basic foundations of a scleral lens to the more challenging ones. And then there are calculators. If you're fitting a corneal lens, like a bitoric or even like spherical GP, like you can kind of like, if you wanted to kind of see if your design is appropriate, you can like check with the calculators that they have there. So there are a lot of great resources. Scleral Lens Society, they have mm -hmm. like a really good um like place where you can get webinars and nowadays like to be honest there are so many webinars that are out there so eyes on optometry they'll do like their webinars on scleral lenses you'll have like uh, other platforms that will release their webinars so i would say like enroll into review of optometry if they're having an archive mm -hmm. webinar series if like eyes on optometry has like a series on scleral lenses and then scleral lens society as well as the gpli page you'll see tons of like um, articles as well as like webinars on their website and then lastly don't forget like I always like I, it's always amazing that not a lot of people do this but rely on the community like in the community there are so many contact lens fitters never shy away from just like emailing people and just like asking yeah. them if they are open to like helping you with a case or just like open to kind of hearing what you're doing recently well like uh, one of the optometrists kind of reached out from the community and she wanted like an opinion on one of the contact lens cases and I have reached out to my mentors like from residency and I've still consulted with them about cases so it's good to kind of build a community of people that you can like talk to and like just get some help from there are so many people around you so why not just ask mm -hmm. yeah I think we forget that sometimes too sometimes as doctors especially as young doctors we might feel like we want to prove ourselves and we just want to be able to handle a case and be like oh come on I know this like I should be able to figure this out but we kind of forget that I think a lot of doctors practicing around us probably also feel that way sometimes where they feel lost or they feel like I tried everything on this patient. I don't know what's going on. Um, everyone wants help. Everyone wants to consult and just bounce ideas back and forth um, with, with other ODs. So that's great advice. Never feel shy to just like message other friends, colleagues, or people in the neighborhood to just share patient cases or go on like the Facebook groups. Like, you know, even like ODs on Facebook is like a huge Facebook group where maybe you'll regret it sometimes if you post a patient <laughs> case on there, but you know, people post up on there all the time, asking for a second opinion, asking for help. Why not for specialty contacts? I'm sure there's so many people on platforms like that who would love to like privately message you and like talk about it more. Uh, Dr. Betty, thank you so much for giving us like all that information. We're so excited to see what your practice uh, kind of blossoms into and becomes because how long has it been open for now? Just actually just three months. Yeah. A couple of months. Yeah. And um, you have staff now though, right? Or is it just, I <laughs> no, I do. I'm so happy that I have staff. Like I have like people who are working with me and like helping me. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, we're looking forward to seeing what your practice grows into. Thank you, Dr. Manveen Betty, for coming on our podcast. 
thank you so much for joining us for this really, really great episode. Thank you so much for having me. And it was so nice, like talking to you again. Yay. Thanks everyone for listening to Four Eyes, the podcast series brought to you by Young OD Connect. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Instagram or YouTube at Four Eyes Optom for more content. And we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.